there we are. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I am Briar Harvey. This is the Neurodiversity Media Network, and I'm so excited about this show, y'all. When I say that the question I get asked most frequently is, I don't understand dating and sex and having sex with other people and how do I tell if they like me? And it's so much. And I can't answer any of these questions because I got married 23 years ago when the most advanced technology was a pager <laughs> and we left codes to each other. Like that was it. I got, I got nothing for you here, my friends. So I have invited the delightful Heather Kloss, also known as Nookie, and we're going to be talking about Nookie today. So, Heather, tell us who you are and how you came to talk about this work. Whoo, that's a big story. Um, I am, hi, my name is Heather. My pronouns are she, her. I am a... Uh, coach, uh, love, sex, and romance. I um, coach people on creating the life and the love that they want. I am neurospicy in several different ways. And um, I have been in and out of the dating industry since the early 2000s. I actually used to ghostwrite dating advice for a, a series of people. And I have been um, writing relationship and uh, dating advice for many years on um, a few blogs. And I just recently put out a book about boundaries in love and romance called Take No Shit. And yeah, so and how I came to talk about this was I talked with you. And we thought this would be a good thing uh, to put out there into the world because it is a challenge to date while neurospicy. Uh -huh. So as we always like to do here, I want to start with some definitions because we want to make sure we're actually having the same conversation. So let's start with that one. Define neurospicy. So first of all, I love that. And that is um, actually one of the behaviors that goes along with my own brand of neurospiciness is I like to define things and clarify things. I do a lot of education traveling around the world. And one of the things I do is I say, okay, I'm going to be teaching this class. You know, how do we define communication since that's what we're going to be talking about? So this is absolutely perfect. So um, diversity in neurological traits, right? It's a lot of people when they think of like neurodiverse, they think specifically of individuals on the autism spectrum. Um, for us, Neurospicy is going to encompass a broad range of neurotypes. Yes, autism, but also um, ADHD and ADD, uh, dyslexia, mental and emotional differences like BPD, RSD, anxiety, trauma brain, um, pretty much anything that changes how we engage in certain behaviors in a significant enough way that it takes us out of what we might call common behaviors, typical behaviors, normal behaviors, right? And um, there's going to be some shared characteristics, you know, with people who are autistic, for example. When we talk about neurospiciness, though, the key is to avoid overgeneralizing and focusing in on the distinctiveness and how these different traits and behaviors, how these types manifest in individuals in a wide variety of ways. So um, as an example, using autism, because that's what a lot of people are familiar with, Autistics can present as very 
empathetic and they can present as not so empathetic. And both of those types have different behaviors and challenges associated with dating, mating, relating, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. So I'm, I actually look at it from the standpoint of neurospicy to me means that most humans are extraordinary in some way. And that extraordinariness comes with often a companion deficit or two. So that's what we'll be talking about. Before we go any farther, I also want to define narcissism because this is such an important word to distinguish from that lack of empathy versus, I mean, everyone is telling you how narcissistic everyone is these days. And that is not the case. And I want to make sure that we're clear about that here. Yeah. So, okay. One of the challenges is I personally like to talk quite a bit about selfish behavior. I believe that selfish behavior is actually a very neutral term because if we are fulfilling ourselves and what fulfills us is being surrounded by happy, loving, well-adjusted people, our behaviors are going to be radically different than if we are fulfilling ourselves and we are looking to um, get more of everything at the expense of everyone else, right? So I do believe that we ought to be a more selfish society in the sense of um, we have to look out for ourselves. Uh, we're the only people that we're going to be with for the rest of our lives. Now, of course, the challenge is narcissists, um, diagnosed narcissists and those who may or may not be, um, they exhibit a pattern of behavior that is that bad kind of selfishness. It's arrogant thinking. It includes a lack of empathy. It requires um, excessive admiration from others. Like that's a big part of that pattern. Um, very uh, self, not just selfish, but self-centered in the sense that everyone around them needs to focus in on them versus selfishness to me is something that, you know, we create and we live regardless of external forces. Um, narcissists are trying to take that selfishness from you and make their selfishness your focus. And the distinction is important because we want to encourage you to be selfish for your own needs and also not be aware of when you are giving away too much of your time, energy, and effort. Absolutely. Since, you know, since I just wrote a book about boundaries, um, you know, that is a huge part of everything that I talk about in um, love, sex, romance, dating, mating, relating, whatever it is, boundaries are always going to be the key. And one of the things that you're going to find as we go through this series is that I'm going to be talking a lot about how boundaries help you protect your authenticity and how authenticity is critical to moving through life. The thing that is sort of magical about it, though, is that if a narcissist comes into your life, if you are able to set and maintain healthy boundaries, no matter what your flavor of neurospiciness is, whether they are a narcissist or just a plain old duty head, won't matter because they're not going to be able to take advantage of you because you're only going to do things that work for you. 
and boundaries are for us, right? Like when I create a boundary, that is my line in the sand, as is any potential consequences that I am willing to put forward. I can't demand anyone respect my boundary. They do or they don't. <gasps> and oh. then I enforce that line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, the, the standard examples is you can't talk to me like that. No, no, they can. They are. Um, so a boundary would be, I will not stay in a conversation when someone is yelling, or I will not stay at a conversation where someone invalidates me. You know, these, these are boundaries, right? What am I going to do when something upsets me. And many times that is going to be, frankly, the key to any sort of neurospicy dating because neurospicy and neurocommons when mixing are going to have things about each other that are not going to fit. But wait, you know what? Neurospicy and neurospicy are also going to find that they're going to have things about each other that aren't going to fit, right? Like, it's not that strange a process when you think about it. The biggest issue that everyone has in relationships is that we all go into it thinking this is how it's supposed to work. And then we run that pattern over and over and over again. And the other person doesn't fit perfectly into that pattern. And that frustrates us and we get upset. And then things start to go completely sideways. Before we go too much farther, let's define neurocommons and why we're using that here. Yeah, so neurocommon, we're using neurocommon instead of neurotypical um, because typical tends to imply like normal or, you know, like the default. And common is more along the lines of like widespread or widely accepted, right? And I kind of think of like common as if you take, you know, a scale of zero to 100 in any particular facet of personality or neurotype, the 40%, you know, right there in the middle. So from like 30% to 70%, that's the neuro common. That's kind of like the widely accepted range of behaviors. Now, not that it's only 40% of people, although honestly, it probably is. You know, some people are, you know, they might be at the 31st percentile and they kind of get away with it because they're good at masking, right? Unless they're under a lot of stress and things start to crumble. And uh, so, that's, I, I just prefer like neurocommon instead of neurotypical. Um, it just because it's widespread doesn't make it better. In fact, I would point out that common relationships tend to not be very good or very loving or very functional. So how about we don't really think of that as the default? We just think of it as what most people are doing. And if we think about it that way, then we can say, well, most people were using leeches to cure things, you know, 500 years ago. Is, is that where we want to be? <laughs> and there's so much to unpack here about common typical, ideal relationships, right? Because oh, yeah. what is ideal? Who defines that? How do we define that, right? What are we even getting ourselves into when we say, I want a typical relationship? 
<laughs> so yeah, the neurospicy of us, you know, face the task of trying to navigate a world of dating designed for neurocommon folk, which comes with this like unspoken set of expectations and assumptions about how people should function. And that extends into the realm of the actual relationships themselves, not just the dating and the intimacy where our neurocommon partners um, have probably been socialized in a number of different ways with these very specific and rigid notions of what is considered normal or obvious in a relationship, right? And so then being in a partnership with a neurospicy individual can be a big challenge to these preconceived notions. And it can be difficult and even daunting to confront those challenges. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons we're using neurospicy is we're moving away from the idea of um, neurodiversity as a sickness, a disorder, or a flaw, right? Um, so we're using neurospicy instead of neurodivergent in this particular series. We're using neurotypes rather than conditions or diagnoses. Um, you know, we want to dismantle the unjust uh, stigma associated with neurodiversity. Um, and so... Dating while neurospicy is this big thing because if you're neurospicy and you know it, if you're neurospicy and you know it, clap your hands, um, you have probably been given the impression at some point in your life that you have to change yourself in order to fit in and be worthy of love. No. No. Thing is, your neurocommon person raised on rom-coms and The Bachelor has their own limited and harmful ideas about what love looks like in action, even with other neurocommons. I mean, you can see it when you watch reality TV. How people relate to one another is incredibly farkled beyond, like, anything, right? We, right. And we barely get sex ed in schools let alone 100%. relationship education. So even neurocommon to neurocommon has a hard time creating healthy relationships that last. So when I talk about dating while neurospicy, right? I I say we those of us who are here now watching this video, listening to this video, interacting, we are better off treating every single person who enters our lives as if they are neurospicy or potentially neurospicy and building our relationship with them from the ground up rather than taking intellectual shortcuts and relying on assumptions. Because you don't know what you don't know, and you don't even know what your neurotype is a significant portion of the time. Absolutely. And even someone neurocommon. Let's take, you know, something I wrote about in my um, boundaries book. So uh, I was talking about communication and emotional boundaries. And my partner and I, we've been together for a little over 10 years now. I am very neurospicy. Um, he's definitely more neurocommon, even so much so that he's one of those people that like 97% of people absolutely adore from the moment they meet them. And then 3% like hate them because they're jealous, right? Like it's like... He's that person, like the big heart, like he also wears his heart on his sleeve. And so we have these conversations where he says, why are you always overthinking things? And I'm like, why are you always overfeeling things? Right? Like it's so even 
you know, the neurocommons, they have their um, bigness in certain areas, their extremeness in certain areas, and so on. So how do we avoid having that there's only one may one way right yeah yeah so i am definitely anti one two way um think of the think of it princess pride anti one two way um because I mean, I think it's a bad idea to say what works for most neurospicy people, right? Because how folks diverge is not just a spectrum, but a super spectrum. It's the world of neurocommons multiplied, <laughs> right? Not reduced. It's kind of like um, Roy G. Biv, but all the possible blends and all the colors that most people can't see. And, you know, just as some people see a common range and some are colorblind in various forms, some see far more nuance and colors in many different ways. Um, but how do we get around that? Well, I think the only way that we do that is we recognize that what is true for us is not true for others, right? The, um, what we are good at, and, and neurocommons fall into this trap quite a bit. Um, the idea that we might disagree, but the reason we disagree is the same for both of us, which is, why you are a monster and I am not. Which is absolutely ridiculous, right? When it comes right down to it. We don't think and feel the same. And if you understand the concept of um, X formation, not information, which I think we pretty much all know um, what information is, but exformation. Um, exformation comes to the, together with the idea of the theory of mind. And the theory of mind is the capacity to understand other people by ascribing mental states to them and includes the knowledge that others' beliefs, desires, intentions, emotions, and thoughts may be different from your own. So if you look at it that way, and you look at the idea of exformation, which essentially is everything that you've ever experienced, Every belief, every thought, every bit of socialization, every church you've ever been dragged to or that you went to excitedly, every single philosophical discussion you've ever, ha ever had, every YouTube video you've ever watched, all of that comes together to create who you are and how you see the world. So, Briar, for example... If I were to ask you to define the word love, now everyone else out there, think about this, think in your head, right? Give it a moment. Think about how would you define love? Okay, Briar. Wow. Didn't expect to be put on the spot like this today. Love is... Hmm. Love is security and safety and the knowledge that I belong somewhere. Okay, great. So now if you and I were having a conversation in some sort of relationship and I said, I love you, those would be the associations you would have. Now, for me, love is 
a warm feeling of affection. So if you said, I love you to me, that would be how I would define it unless we had a conversation about how we each define love goes back to defining things, right? How we each define love so that when I speak of love, you know what I'm saying. And when you speak of love, I know what you're saying. It's that simple. I have asked that question in um, classes, communication classes, where, you know, I might have 30 people in the room and I will ask that question. I'll just go around the room just to make the point. And I will get like 37 answers. Right. So when we can't even fully agree on what a word as common as love means, what, what exformation we have around that, then we begin to understand that whether you define love as, you know, security or whether you define it as loving somebody much, caring for somebody so much that it offers freedom, right? Understanding those two things and figuring out whether those understandings are going to be compatible, that's the key. So defining our terms then is the standard for all of these future conversations too. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. I like to, I like to very much, um, you know, focus in on using language in a way that I can define that I can um, support, that I can, when necessary, defend. Um, and being able to use words that are incredibly common in ways that may or may not be is going to be fairly key in any sort of relationship, including the one that you and I are having, including the one that we are having with, you know, our audience. Um, so, you know, as we discuss things, and I'm not sure if you've noticed, but I actually like make words up as I go, you know, I used Farkling earlier, um, which everybody probably understood what I was talking about. Um, you know, I do like to, I get spicy with my language. And, you know, when it comes to broadcasting to a wide audience, there's some language I feel is acceptable, like the title of my book, Take No Shit. Um, there's other language that I'll probably say, well, fudge buckets instead, right? Because <laughs> for my own neurotype reasons, that's what I do. And... It's important here for us to not get in a competition of what your neurotype needs versus what my neurotype needs. We definitely, um, I, I find that as neurospicy people, especially when we are really wanting feeling the loss, let's say feeling the loss or the lack of some things that we see that other people seem to have so easily or so effectively, we have a tendency to jump in with both neurospicy guns blazing and say, well, it doesn't work that way for me. Therefore you are wrong. Right. Or, well, you have it so much easier than I do or whatever. And we don't know each other's stories. We don't know what people have been through. We don't know how easy it feels inside of them. Right. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't like somebody to look at 
me and just dismiss anything I had to say by saying, yeah, but you've got it easy, right? That's, that's not right. Just like I wouldn't like anybody to dismiss what I had to say by saying, yeah, but you're not like other people or yeah, but you know, you're never going to find a partner that really works for you because you have, you know, this, 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 and this, like, let's not do that to each other. Let's, you know, use this series as a way to uplift and support each other. And if I provide a potential solution that doesn't work for anyone out there, then I would love to hear what does work for you. Or I would love to hear what you have tried so that we can try to brainstorm on something together, right? Because that's my goal. My goal is not to make you feel even more left out because this doesn't work for you. My goal is to give as many solutions as I can come up with within a specified period of time, right? We're only going to be running this series for, you know, X period of time. And, you know, we're going to have to figure out as much as possible in those spaces. And I haven't met every neurospicy person in the world. I just, I haven't. And I haven't heard from every neurospicy person what their challenges are either. So rather than come at this from a competition of I'm spicier than thou, or, you know, <laughs> you're, you're commoner than I, or whatever it is, Let's look at this from a standpoint of, you know, we don't know where each other falls on each different neurotype spectrum. And let's be, and this goes back to, you know, my company, let's be curiouser about it. Instead of competitive, instead of trying to compete with each other and trying to grab those resources that we desperately hope will help us and push others out of the way to do it. Let's get curiouser together and find the best solutions for ourselves. So let's talk about what that's going to look like and what we're going to cover over the next couple of months and how people can bring themselves with an open heart to this conversation. Absolutely. So one of the things that I'm going to be focused on over the next uh, couple of months is bringing to life the idea of being radically neurospicy. And what that means is not that we exaggerate it or, you know, that we wear big t-shirts that say, I mean, actually, there's nothing I mean, if you want to, go right ahead. That says radically neurospicy. We might actually have to create t-shirts that say radically neurospicy. But you know, I'm not it. saying that we have to like, you know, pick it and march about this or anything like that. What I'm saying is, um, to me, radically neurospicy is creating a condition of not only accepting ourselves, but owning our differences, not just from neurocommons, but from each other, right? At attempting to be as open and honest as possible at all times, inviting people to opt into our lives. And I'd like to say, you know, when I say to opt into our lives, one of the things I told my partner when we met is I'm like, I'm not human. I'm actually some sort of strange alien in human skin. I don't think like normal people. I don't feel like normal people. And he was like, I, I don't, I don't see it. You're one of the most, you know, charismatic people I've met. Like, a, and he, you know, big stars in his eyes. Woo. Right. And uh, I said, just you wait, give right? it time. And, you know, like, like a month later, it was like, Oh, there it is. Ha. You know? <laughs> and so I, I was, I was open. I was honest. I told him exactly what he could expect. And then when that came around, I was like, look, see, I told you, 
<laughs> here are the ways we can handle this, right? Here are things that we can do. Um, and also to, to be transparent about how we can improve our relationship results through understanding ourselves and finding the right tools for our flavor of neurospiciness. Um, and I, I believe that being open and honest and authentic and radically neurospicy not only helps us meet people, um, you know, connect with people, create relationships with people and so on and so forth. But when we are able to be radically neurospicy through our lives, I feel like it normalizes that not a single person, not a dang one of them that I know is really normal, right? They, we all have, you know, whether it's, it's a neurological thing or whether we're just freaking weird, right? We all have our peccadilloes and focusing in on some of the stronger neurotypes that you're going to see that are going to cause the biggest conflict in relationships um, throughout this series, where we're, we're going to talk about resources, and we're going to talk about dating, and we're going to talk about sex, and we're going to talk about being a likable human, not because we have changed who we are, but because we've learned how to present and communicate who we are more effectively so that people aren't, that one of the biggest challenges with neurospiciness is that we mask so much. We try to hide how different we are. So when people start getting to know us, we're, we're putting on our best faces and we're only seeing them when we've like done all of the, you know, resting up so that we have the most power and like, you know, verve that day to deal with them, to people in the way that people, people. And then when that mask slips, they're shocked. They're surprised. They had no warning. They didn't understand. And some people are going to be like that anyway. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there are people out there who just can't handle our flavors, and that's fine. But some other people, we don't give them the chance, really, to understand. And I really want to emphasize what you're saying here, that masking is potentially damaging to our relationships because we are presenting a version of ourselves that doesn't actually exist. Right. That, that exists in incredibly brief periods of time, which is fine for those periods of time. Like if you're going to your partner's office party, masking makes sense. And if you're going to your partner's office party, you've told them, you know, yes, I will go with you. And you don't have the resources it takes to mask, then bowing out of that party and your partner understanding that is going to be key, right? Not just saying, oh, I can't go to that party with you. Uh, I've got to uh, wash my hair tonight, right? Like then they're left with the fudge. Like you're just abandoning me. Well, no, I'm not abandoning you. I am not functionally capable of doing that. And it's going to harm me and it might harm you and your business relationships. So how about I stay home? And when you come home, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> right? Like this is, these are the types of conversations that not just neurospicy people need to learn to have. You have used this word several times now. I want to define it. Resources. What are we talking about when we talk about resources? So we're going to talk about that a lot more in the next episode. Um, 
when we talk about getting real resources, time, right? How many neurospicy people engage with time is apparently not like how other people engage with time. Like other people, time is like, it just, it does its thing. For us, it might bend and stretch and pull like taffy and whatever, right? Like that's, so time is a resource. Um, energy is a resource. For some of us, the um, physical potential is less. For some of us, the ADHDers, the physical potential is right. Um, emotional capacity. And I don't mean like if you're able to love or not, that's a trope that frankly, I don't even want to touch. Of course you're capable of loving. I mean, are you going to be able to self-regulate right now? Or in seven hours when you're hanging out with a bunch of your friends in a noisy bar or whatever it is. Um, I was talking and I, I will bring some of the uh, clips from this in, um, in the next one. I was talking with uh, a neurospicy individual for my, my book, my boundaries book, I actually interviewed people about their boundaries journeys. And I wanted to get back to beginner's mindset. I wanted to learn how people are talking about boundaries now when they refer to themselves. I wanted to learn about their journey through boundaries. And one of the people I talked to is very neurospicy with a lot of like sensitivity issues and food needs and so on and so forth. And um, when I was speaking with them, they laid out some of the important things that they had discovered and started setting boundaries for in their relationships, their friendships, and so on and so forth. And so I'll share some of that that I uh, learned from them and how they chose to do things to give examples of how we husband these resources and also sometimes how we fritter them away and don't give them uh, the attention that they need. I think sometimes in the hopes that we, if we just deny that these limitations exist, then they won't. That doesn't actually usually work for me. Um, every once in a while, like I can kind of, uh, you know, I know I'm not feeling it. I can go for a little while and then I'm like, okay, this is working, but I've learned to listen to myself. And there is definitely that little like click that happens when I'm, nope, this is not the night for something like that. Uh, uh, nope. Thank you. Gonna stay home with my cat. Bye-bye. And we'll talk a lot about what this looks like in early stages versus later stages, yes. because there are ways that you can communicate your needs with someone new that is much different than the ways that you communicate your needs with someone you've been in a longer relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, I was actually at the gym this morning, um, my trainer, he and his wife just went and got tested for ADD. Apparently, they are both off the charts. Ooh, they were like, woo, surprise, surprise. And um, another uh, gym goer in my core fit class, um, apparently, also not a terrible surprise, is super ADHD. Um, and we were talking and... The thing that's interesting about the different neurotypes is a lot of ADDers, a lot of ADHDers versus other neurotypes are actually quite good at getting banged, making friends, and starting relationships. 
what it's they the finishing that's the problem is sustaining them because their brains don't work in those deep long conversations that you have to have in order to maintain they don't work in the day-to-day minutia they don't work in rem- you know reminding somebody that you love them and you know 6 months will go by and they'll be like i just said didn't i say that yesterday no it's been it's been 84 years so, you know, and then other people are are masters at long-term friendships and relationships, but they don't feel very likable or fairly very dateable. They don't know how to make those connections. They don't know how to have, you know, sexual intimate connections. Every single neurotype is going to have different challenges in those areas. And that's why we're going to talk about those different areas. I am so excited about this. It's going to be so much fun. Me too. <laughs> this is like when when I was talking with you about this topic, I was like, oh, yeah. Not just because I think this needs to be done, but so one of my um, diagnoses is ADD. I kind of wish I had the HD Like, you know, then I'd have that Energizer Bunny energy. I do not. Um, But I was like, ooh, another project. Ooh, I can do research on this. Ooh, I can do, ooh, I can interview people. Ooh, I can do this. 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 And it's like, it was just like those, you know, when you're watching a TV show and, you know, they're, they're talking about something going viral and it was like, pop, ding, boom, ding, boom, ding. Like all around. And I started thinking of all of these conversations I've had with people over the years and with clients and with, you know, people I've mentored and so on and so forth. Well, how do I? Ding. (laughs) Yep. It's going to be an amazing time. I am quite sure of this. So y'all. If you have questions that you do not wish to leave in a public place, we have created a hotline for you so that you can give us a call. That number is 402-819-9939. I will leave this in all of the places in the show notes and we'll include it in all the graphics. What kind of questions are you hoping for? All of them. Um, So I think the ideal is a question in which you can say, this is a pattern, a challenge I've had in my life, and be able to say, this is what happens. This is how I feel. And I think, or I've been told, this is how the other person feels. That is going to give us enough information. We don't need your diagnoses if you don't want to give it. If you want to give it, that's also fine, but we don't need it. What we need is what is the action or the behavior or the clash that you are experiencing as a challenge in your, you know, dating, mating, and relating. So again, it's 402-819-9939. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Before we go today, tell us about the book, where we can find it, and then where we can find you. Okay. Well, the book is called Take No Shit. (laughs) Um It is actually uh, Take No Shit, Build Better Relationships Through Discovering, Creating, and Maintaining Healthy Boundaries in Three, Sometimes Five, Simple Steps. And I'll talk about those steps as we go through this series. Um, You can find it and me at my.curiouser.life. Um, the book is there. I have a uh, Take No Shit workshop. I have one-on-one coaching. And I also have a take no 
star, 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 because the app store wouldn't allow me to get away with SH asterisk T. Um, so take no asterisk, 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 uh, in the app store and Google play store, which is a free daily boundaries journaling app. So all about the boundaries. And then ultimately that will also lead you to, um, learning about not only that book and what I'm doing, but also the next book that I'm working on, which is uh, Actions Speak Louder Than Words, or Do They? How We uh, Miscommunicate and Kill Our Relationships with Too Much Talking. And here we are, talking all about it. Uh, I know, I know, I know. But if we talk enough at the beginning... Maybe we won't have to talk so much before. Like, you know, again, this goes back to like, if we tell people, this is how I am and this is what you can experience, then they can opt in. They might still be surprised, but they'll know that you told them, right? And that reduces having to explain yourself, possibly through tears, right? down the line. It may not entirely eradicate it, but it reduces it. And these are the types of things that I'm going to be focused on as far as tools moving forward is how do we get to the point where we have to explain or defend ourselves less and the words that we use are productive or the actions that we do are productive. Mm-hmm. And the intent is what matters here, right? Where we're coming from matters. Yes. And? And? <laughs> so we often intend very good things and still do not so good things. Other people often, I mean, okay, let's talk about intent for those who might be more extreme neurospicy who might have been diagnosed as a child um, whose parents may have tried to teach you how to mask or even tried to pretend that you weren't so very, very neurospicy. The intent was good. They love you. They want you to, you know, fit in and be a part of society and succeed and be happy and have babies and, you know, all the things, right? And yet that doesn't mean it didn't cause harm. So I want to hopefully focus in on not only what do we intend and how do we make that happen, right? How do we communicate that? But also, what do the other people in our lives intend and is it harming us anyway? And if so, what kind of boundaries can we set to reduce that harm? And I think this is a really important part of the equation for in particular our autistic neurotypes because we have a difficult time judging intent i assume best intent all of the time i get in so much trouble for this all of the time because i have good intent i assume you do too yeah and so that's where it's not so much about the intent It's about how it affects you. And that is a huge theme that, you know, we'll be going with throughout this series is, you know, I can say, I can step on your foot and say, sorry, right? I didn't mean to step on your foot. And yet if we're walking side by side and I am, I don't know, maybe I'm drunk and I'm constantly stepping on your foot, it will still hurt every single time, whether I intend to do that or not. So in that case, I am obviously not, not stepping on your foot. So maybe you can protect yourself, set your boundaries, say, 
I need, how about you walk over there and maybe trail your fingers along the wall to keep yourself upright. And I'll walk about two and a half feet over here. So you couldn't reach my foot, even if you stumble. Right. And we can do that with our relationships as well. I think this is going to be a lot to unpack for folks because there's some real anxiety there about setting those boundaries and being secure enough to enforce them. So, yes. Um, in my book, I actually have a chapter that says, I'm not going to lie, it's going to hurt. Because no matter who you are, whether you're neurospicy or neurocommon or the most popular person in the world, when you start setting really healthy boundaries, some of the people in your life are not going to love that. And they are going to push back. They are going to potentially call you names. They are going to leave. And that hurts like a lot. Also, the other side of it is they weren't there for you. They were there for what they could get out of you or who they thought you might be. And I have heard over and over and over again that once people start really setting healthy boundaries and embracing their authenticity, showing up for others authentically and honoring and even more encouraging other people's boundaries as well, all of a sudden it's like people appear out of thin air that never existed before. And all of a sudden, your entire like friend landscape changes. You're like, where were all these people when, you know, I was a wreck? Well, all of those people had their own boundaries and they can't hang out with people that are wrecking them. So there is hope. And we will talk about, you know, be, you know, finding teeny tiny little ways to set these boundaries, finding ways to start using tools in low stakes ways um, in existing relationships. And then also, I mean, if you're not in an existing relationship, sometimes it seems easiest to kind of like wipe the slate clean and start fresh. But if you're in an existing relationship, then there are ways to sort of start the process yourself and sort of walk in a direction and invite your partner to walk with you rather than, and this I do not recommend to anyone saying, Hey, Briar, our relationship needs to change. Like the anxiety. Oh yeah. It's, it's and- like you just told me we needed to talk. Exactly. Exactly. Which, you know, saying, hey, we need to talk, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what it could mean. So how we do these things and like even even to the point of like I've literally written scripts for myself ahead of time when I was really, really smart and not super emotionally overwhelmed. Like I've written out this is what I'll say if this boundary gets crossed. This is I thought about it. Like I'll get upset or annoyed by something and I will wait for a couple of days to just process in my head what exactly upset or annoyed me. What exactly do I need to do to say this without being hurtful to either myself or to my partner? Every once in a while, I'll do something like say, hey, something about that really didn't sit well with me. I don't know what it is yet, but just be aware that they'll probably be a conversation about it coming and every once in a while it won't come and he'll say was there ever anything about that thing and I'm like no it just went away and sometimes I'll be like okay I've got it how about like Tuesday night when we go for a walk after dinner we can you know walk side by side that's a big one for me not like face to face walk side by side and talk right or sometimes I'll be like 
hey, it's not a big deal. It didn't really bother me or anything, but it kind of worried me that this thing kind of felt like this and maybe not like that. And I wanted it to feel like that, but not like this. And what do you think? <laughs> right? And my partner, the feeling guy will be like, okay, give me a minute. Okay. I guess that wasn't that bad. Okay. Here's what I was thinking. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we're, we'll, we'll talk about all sorts of different things. Y'all join us again this time, two weeks from now, and we will get into dealing with resources, really unpacking what some of these management tools are and how we're going to use them in the rest of this series and how it works for us. I'm super excited. If you are new to us here at the Neurodiversity Media Network, you should subscribe. That's neurodiversitymedianetwork.com. We are so delighted that you could be here with us today, and we will see you again next time. Again, call us if you have questions. Let me find it. 402-819-9939. Talk to y'all later. Bye.